3: right it's film study we're going to look back at the week nine game i don't even think i really need to set it up that the ravens were victorious 37 20 over the patriots at home kemmy kusick how you doing
4: life's good josh how you doing
3: have you gotten any sleep since the game yet i i know i know your process and it's a late night game so
4: yeah so so we can't really i can't really push myself through on a on a night game i have to get a few hours of sleep and maureen Uh, because the other very significant portion in this is not able to really stay up all night to do this kind of thing. So if I need her to enter something or to record something, as we do with notes, then, uh, yeah, we have to wait.
3: Okay, good, because I know for these late-night games, I like to turn off the TV and go right to bed. I'm sure you went to the game, so you got home later. I can't imagine having to sit down and start to make notes. It's not like it was a big
4: chore after a game like that. It was fun.
3: All right. And uh, joining us... Again this week, I think a listener favorite, they always respond well, is Sarah Ellison. Welcome back.
5: Thanks, guys. Happy Purple Monday. It's a good one. Purple Tuesday for for those that will be listening to this. Purple Week 9. It was just a great, great game.
4: Yeah. You don't don't get too many great ones like that and and at home, the atmosphere was absolutely electric and uh, you'll notice in this episode that I've lost a fair amount of my voice at the game, so uh, I'll do the best I can, but it's... uh, A lot of fun. I feel sorry for you missing it out in Ohio.
5: Yeah, I mean, I can't imagine what it was like to be there. I could feel the energy all the way from over here.
4: All right. All right. Just a great game of poker, I thought, uh, where it finally feels like the Ravens have the better cards than New England. And not just a competitive hand. They really had the coordinators to play those cards in this game. They they had, uh, you know, two guys who really know what they're doing on each side of the ball. I guess the only the only downside to this is that it looks like both of them will be head coaching candidates at the end of this year.
5: Yeah, well, first of all, on, on, on the poker hand an- analogy, I completely agree. I think this is the first time um, that I can remember where it just felt like the Ravens have better players. They just have the better players. Uh, you know Tom Brady is Tom Brady. He's the goat, not taking anything away from him. but he has he's got no run game. He's, he's got Edelman, but no true threat the way the Ravens have a threat, whether it's on offense with Lamar Jackson and Hollywood and that running game, or on defense where you have all these playmakers and and uh, Marcus Peters, Marlon Humphrey, Earl Thomas. And it just felt like finally, to, to your point on the on the cards, I mean, they just had a better, uh, hand and and the coordinators executed that to perfection with with their playmakers
4: yeah we're, we're going to talk a lot about about the coordinator activity here on the defensive side of the ball in particular today but i agree both sides of the ball looking fantastic in this one um, this is the third straight game where the Ravens put it away with a long game sealing drive in the fourth quarter I, I i realized this about myself i loved it when the Ravens could do it in the early Harbaugh years with the 2018-9 team that had you know two great offensive lines with Jared Gaither at left tackle. Um, that, I love the fact that the Ravens are able to run the football right down the opponent's throat when they know it's coming and they can't do a damn thing about it.
5: They're, they're just bullies. Here, here's what's funny is, you know, Lamar, and I'll twist this into a defensive note since we're doing defense, Lamar, you know, gets called supposing, supposedly in a degrading way, a running back or a wide receiver, but he's a great defender <laughs> mm-hmm. because when you have the ball for as long as he he did and and we had seen it. The defense had been gassed uh, through that third quarter after they had gotten you know the the return for the touchdown. So I think they were on the field for nineteen plays straight, uh, mostly because they they made a play to to go score. But then to go back and have Lamar just to to almost be a defender, while you know scoring is just massive for the Ravens and, and like you said I mean you just have that run game and that that offensive line to just be, be a bully and the Patriots who by the way are this supposed to be this legendary defense 8-0 and they were just exposed as mm-hmm. as the weakest undefeated team at midseason that I had ever seen after that first half easiest schedule so, uh, so yeah, it was nice that they really didn't have an answer for the Ravens unless the Ravens gifted them something.
4: It was it, it it certainly did look like the Patriots were very short on athleticism on defense more than anything else. They just they did not have an answer for Lamar Jackson. Uh, Their edge defenders, who I think you know play great schematically, uh, were just no match for Jackson's athleticism on the edge. Uh, frankly, for all the other things that the Ravens did on the edge, like getting Mark Ingram free and right. to, and to the edge I mean just it, it was a beat down of some significance that we we do not often see against a a, a team that's pretty good and uh, and you know I think the Patriots certainly the Ravens have made the 2000 Ravens a little bit closer to popping the champagne again in the way 72 dolphins do of an extra year of their record not getting broken <laughs> uh, we, we uh, or maybe Eric Dickerson is still doing that. But uh, but anyway, it's it's uh, it was really nice to do it to the Patriots. scoring thirty seven on them just I, I I can't even put into words how how nice this is for the historical Ravens context that went with it. Nice to well, see Ed Reed. I'm sorry go
5: ahead. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, you you take out it's it's hard to compare games to playoff games, right? This, those are some of the the best when you look back on it. Mm-hmm. But when you're talking about straight regular season wins, This one is definitely up there and just having so much pleasure because of all the, you know, the hype. And again, you know, Bilicek was just going to shut the Ravens down and take away their their only strength and they weren't going to have a plan B. And, oh, we'll get into it more. The way that they just had Brady hit after hit after hit, it was just such a dominant win and so pleasurable to watch.
4: Yeah. So Josh made the point to me during during the uh, production meeting that the two consecutive wins against Seattle and then against New England were the two greatest consecutive wins in team history. Meaning in regular I, season. I, I'm sorry, in regular season. It's good point. Good point. Because uh, I, I was trying to think of another like even that proved the team in the same manner, and you really have to look for that. I mean, the first two games of 2000 might fall in the same category where they went to Pittsburgh and shut out the Steelers, and then they came home and, and had the great comeback against Jacksonville. But I'm, I'm really trying to think of another time where the Ravens had two wins in a row against quality opponents that were this nice.
5: That That's a great point by you, Josh. I mean, you think about where the Ravens were after that Browns game in Week 4, Giving up back to back 500 yards, just feeling like embarrassed. And then the Ravens make all these changes and, you know, then they go and beat the Steelers, but oh, who cares? They, they you know, I think they were either on the second or third quarter, um, third string quarterback. And it was just kind of like these wins that didn't matter. And it was just this mediocre team. And then in the matter of two games, three weeks because of the bye, two games, now everybody's talking about how the Ravens are an elite AFC game. And now it's not, can the Ravens hang with so-and-so? It's, can so-and-so hang with the Ravens? So it's a great point by Josh. It just completely flipped the script. All
4: right. Very exciting. So anyway, I was bummed to see that Kansas City won that game against against Green Bay, that they certainly could have lost, probably should have lost. Mm-hmm. But, uh, uh, you know, any any loss by KC at this point, any time that they're without Mahomes to, to pick up a couple of losses – it's a very big deal in terms of possibly getting the number one or number two seed. Uh, the number one seed is certainly not out of range. You know, we saw what the Patriots look like in this game. The fact that they've lost the tiebreaker to the Chiefs is going to hurt, though, in terms of uh, being able to to finish ahead of them. So anyway, hopeful this, this, this uh, playoff scenario plays out down the stretch. And let's talk some defense. How about that?
5: Yeah, let's do it.
4: Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about on this was basically something that was forced upon the Ravens, and they clearly had a good idea of what to expect from Belichick and Brady in this game in terms of the possibility, at least, that the no huddle would be used to force Mm -hmm. the Ravens' hand and to create some tired situations. And the Ravens' answer to it was, to me, brilliant. And that is that you, you... You're not going to be able to easily switch package anytime that the um, New England is in the no huddle. But what you can do is still stay with the same package and switch individuals if you commit to a package by drive, which is what the Ravens ended up doing and allowed them still to get some defensive linemen on and off the field and some other positions as well on and off the field. But it's mostly the defensive linemen that they're most concerned about. And I want to go through the individual packages because I think there's some interesting points about all of them to, to, to talk about. Let's start with yeah. the bait. i am sorry, go ahead.
5: Uh, I was, no, I mean, we can dive into it. It, it makes a lot of sense because you're going to get into it, but it felt like they lived in the dime. Mm-hmm. And so that was the package they were, they were going to be like, okay, this is what we're going to stick to um, f- for good reason. I mean, the Patriots had no rushing whatsoever on offense. And so you know you can go with that lighter lighter package and know that Brady's just going to be flinging around the around the field. So uh, yeah, they they l- practically lived in that dying package uh, for most of that game.
4: That's that's absolutely true. I, I was going to start with the base package. They didn't use yes. a single they didn't use a single snap of base. I think uh, you know they, the base is obviously dying in the league, but there's also no package that you'd ever line up base against the Patriots that they would put in at the start of a drive because they need to put in some kind of heavy package. They're very short at both fullback and tight end, so they're almost not capable of fielding a good 12 or 21 personnel grouping right now. Mm-hmm. So that means you don't typically want to put in the base package or even the big nickel against a team like the Patriots. You're really looking to put in the nickel as your heaviest package and then the, the, the dime and even the quarter at other times during the game. And anyway, zero zero base packages. I don't even know when the last time that happened with the Ravens, because normally starting assignments are given out, and they'll often play a snap of base package to start a game just so people will get their start. But anyway, they didn't they didn't do that. They and they they had zero zero base package the entire game. That used to be the way anyway. I don't think it's really been the way this year.
5: The base was already dying. It was dead in this game completely. It, it's yeah.
4: completely dead.
5: Yeah.
4: All right. So anyway effectively what the Ravens had to do is they had to choose one package at the beginning of the drive. So the Patriots can run no huddle and force the and force the Ravens not to substitute as long as they don't substitute themselves. Once they substitute themselves, then kind of like being the home team in hockey, the defense gets to change second and, and react to that. And so the, the Patriots kept their same personnel on the field, and they didn't allow that. They, they stayed with the no huddle. And... The Ravens were then able to say, Okay, you go ahead and keep that package. We're just gonna get some fresher players on the field from time to time, and you're not gonna be able to you're not gonna be able to run effectively all the way down the field against us. And I think that was a problem with the Patriots offense this year, is that they're just not the Patriots offenses of old that you really had to consistently be fearing an eighty yard or ninety yard drive like you, you did in two thousand seven. Mahomes and the Chiefs are still that way. I just don't think the Patriots are at all that way right now, with a, with a, a third down conversion rate under forty percent this they, year. They
5: they absolutely are not, and that's what's so. Um, up to this point, it's been the defense which has been ranked mostly number one. It fell to number two right before the Ravens. Uh, it was the defense that was carrying the team against really not so good opponents. Um, and so you look you look at the the Patriots offense now. There is, there's no Gronkowski on there, you know, Edelman, you know, he'll rack up those catches, but I think he averaged it, you know, eight yards. He's not breaking it down the field. Sanu kind of another possession receiver. He's not a big threat. And so the Ravens could kind of live with some of these dink and dunks. Um, and, and really they got most of their points on those, on those short fields. I think that the Patriots had one good drive against, yep. against the Ravens defense um, that that I can really see. Um, yes. So it's just it's just not a very good offense right now. And the only thing is that Brady can still, you know, read defenses like the best of them and find the open man. But but he, they're, they 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 in, in some ways are like the Ravens in that they'll, you know, methodically go down the field, but they're not as good as it, as at it as the Ravens are.
4: Yeah, absolutely. And 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 this is that's really the central problem I would say is that the Patriots only had two plays. Over 18 yards in the entire game, so they were they were very locked down tight on the defense. Brady didn't throw deep all that many times. He did hit consecutive plays for 55 total yards on the end of the half drive. That mm-hmm. that very frustrating uh, two plays, including a, a pass to a running back over Otalas, <laughs> which will which we'll get to, but that that was bothersome. Yeah. But but they both those plays are actually against the quarter defense when they had that on the field. I want to talk next about the nickel, which was on for 19 snaps. They had the normal. Uh, nickel. They've been playing a lot of different nickels this year. So they played a lot of big nickel. They had some three-three-five nickel. This was all just plain vanilla four-two-five nickel, three three corners and two safeties with their other normal two defensive linemen and and whatnot. Uh, uh, Nineteen snaps of that, and they played it for complete drives. They didn't they didn't go off and play the nickel like for first down and then go to something else, which they might have. They they just played it for complete drives at the time. So. I'm looking at the at the chart right here. And they played it on the second drive of the game, for example, for all four plays. They played it again on the third drive for all three plays. They came back with it on the fifth drive because that's the personnel they started with. And because of a timeout there, because of a official stoppage, they were able to go to the quarter for the last play of that drive. This is this is something that really fascinated me. There are only five times the entire game, five times the entire game where the Ravens actually changed their package. During the middle of the drive, four yeah. of those were on official timeouts, and the fifth was on a long incomplete to Ben Watson on the right side of the field. So they they really stuck with the same package every single drive. They just changed out the the, the players that were in that package. So I, I was I thought Martin Dale did a masterful job of managing snap count under very very difficult circumstances there, and uh, and still finding a way to get it done.
5: Well, and he he vowed to do that. He wanted to get lots of rotation in there uh and, and he did i mean if if you go in to look at the snaps a uh, lot of rotating with the inside linebackers when they are on the field actually the inside linebackers were taken off quite a bit, quite a bit with you know obviously the dime and the and the quarter um and then you've got you you've got you know these four very capable corners and then he's able to to kind of do the same thing on the line so so yeah he in the no huddle for as much as he could change out the personnel, you're right. I mean, he did a great job to try to keep him fresh, although it didn't quite work in that third quarter, uh, mostly because of that touchdown return. But, but yeah, he kept it going.
4: Okay, so you mentioned the dime defense, uh, Sarah, earlier, and when the Ravens actually moved to that dime. They stayed with that. But that running drive in the third quarter, the second one after they had already – well, they moved the ball a little bit, fairly effectively. Then they had the pass fumble, which was recovered by Humphrey for the touchdown. Then they came back on the field, and they ran the ball basically right down the Ravens' throat with only three passes and a bunch of runs. They moved the ball right down the field. That drive was the was the, the apex of my fear in this game in terms of, of the the Ravens' ability to hang on. And you mentioned that after that, they came back and they, and really had a great drive out of Jackson, including that third down completion right away to Andrews, I believe, to keep that drive going. But, the, but the, they played dime that entire time. But here was the interesting thing about the dime defense. Yeah, they played four cornerbacks in that dime. But the really interesting thing was Brandon Carr was used as a deep safety in this game in the dime and quarter packages. He wasn't really used as a cornerback. They moved—when that happened, they moved Clark up to play effectively inside linebacker in Levine's typical dime role— And that did something for the Ravens in in this situation. So remember, the Patriots are running no huddle the whole time. you got to hurry, hurry to get your defensive call in every time, including what blitz you want to run on the play. But because Clark is playing close to the line of scrimmage in that dime roll that Levine usually had, he was in better position on the field to make that call to the rest of the defense and get that call translated quicker so that the Ravens can continue to run a, a, a mystifying set of blitz packages, which we're going to talk about later.
5: <laughs> I'm excited about that one. Uh, yeah, I mean they, that that makes that makes the reasoning of why you take Levine, who's been praised so much for being in that dime package. Um, which uh, uh, did he end up with like eight snaps this this yeah, game? Yeah, so he
4: played in the quarter package.
5: He played in the quarter package. So to what, by my count this is the second least amount of snaps he's had this season behind, uh, Arizona where he had six. Yeah, that sounds Um, right. so, so yeah, so, so he's taken out not because of, you know, poor play. He's obviously played well, but it was more because of that no huddle where you want to get Clark in, um, to, to, to direct things when, when other people are coming in and out. And that really was the first time I remember you and I had had this conversation when, um, Elliot had first gone down and there was conversation about Carr playing safety, mm-hmm. and neither one of us thought it that it was going to really happen. It didn't in Seattle; it did here because of that no huddle.
4: Yeah, it's really it, it, it. This is the only way it could happen, but that meant Levine had to come out, and I just didn't really see that as a possibility. But this, they obviously saw the value in having Clark play that dime role which I don't think he's necessarily better than Levine in that role. Levine's instincts, ability to read the quarterback, are just extremely good. Clark is, is still a younger player, though he's physical and, and is good in that respect. I think they really wanted it just for positioning on the field and the ability to, to do this. So it's, it's a, it was a fascinating usage and something that, that, you know, it, it might have taken a bye week to figure this out because – there are a couple things they had to really work on to beat the Patriots. And it's not just the scheme of beating the Patriots, but it's it's the mechanics of how do you play the Patriots. And one is how do you get your calls in quickly on defense, which I think we've addressed in this. The other is how do you make your substitutions against the no huddle quickly to the sideline? I had to imagine they had to be drilling on that all week in terms of getting players on and off to make the substitutions they did to play in the same packages but still um have some substitution have some rest for those defensive players who would otherwise be huffing and puffing with the amount of time they had on the field
5: right right um i have a question for you because i know you and i had a little bit of a a small communication right before the game started with the inactives Mm -hmm. and you were concerned with how small they went yeah. Uh, now, seeing what they did, are you OK with it or would you be nervous to do that again? I guess it I mean, depends uh, on the opponent.
4: I, I'm always nervous to do that because I think you risk yourselves with one or, or God forbid, two injuries in terms of what you have to put up there as a front. So, I'm, I, you know, they, they went into this game effectively with only three defensive linemen, three and a half if you count Ricard. Mm-hmm. And they went with four outside linebackers, which is short given who they had. And honestly, in this game, they didn't get great play from the outside linebacker position. We're going to talk about Ferguson a little bit later, but but they had mm-hmm. problems there. So I don't like being small there. I wish they had had um, Kamalu active. I think he would have been a good addition who could play either spot. And I, I he would have been the guy that I would have would have loved to have act, uh, active additionally. If he's not ready, then Zach Sealer. I'd have been happy with him just to have one extra body, one extra level of certainty. And I know that put him maybe short a special teamer, but... How much are they really using Jaleel Scott? How much are they, you know, losing, using, who's the other DB they activated for this game who just came over? Jordan.
5: Oh, I'm not going to remember his last name. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Anyway, I I just wonder.
5: I mean, I I know the risk. I totally get the risk of injury. I felt like for this game plan, I was fine with it because you, because I felt like a lighter personnel was needed with how much the Patriots were going to throw. And, and we'll get into this more. I like the way Wink uh, pressured Brady. Yeah.
4: Yeah, I love the way Wink pressured Brady. So uh, we talked a little bit about the dime then. Let's move on and talk about the quarter. By the way, dime package, they did very well. 4.8 yards per play allowed in the dime, 4.5 in the nickel. So all the packages are good so far. The quarter they called eight times. Uh, quarter was used in some traditional quarter situations. They used it at the end of the half for that drive, so they, they actually had it in for four plays and took it out and then put it back in, on and that was both a couple timeouts that had occurred to, to allow that to happen. They put it back in for the last two snaps of the game after the two-minute warning, and they put it in once on third and 25 after Brady had that uh, intentional grounding call and then followed up by a holding. They had a chance to substitute at that point, so... They were able to get the quarter on the field a few times. Levine was in on that package, and that really gives you a fearsome pass defense look. And yet, that's where they got the two longest plays of the game.
5: I was going to say they got a twenty-five
4: yeah. and a thirty-yard play against that uh, against that defense.
5: It was hilarious. What you know, people have their uh feelings about chris collinsworth uh many do not like him but he was just constantly like look at all those dbs out there look at that 6 7 just like you know fascinated by it but but yeah it seemed like the the dime was was worked well for him but the quarter um in this case did not did not work well
4: right they they uh they threw at peters once in the quarter they threw at at um, uh, Thomas, once in the quarter, one on one against the running back. So those are the two big plays. So unfortunate, but uh, but it happens from time to time. I don't think they lose they lose faith in the quarter over that. They, they've it served them well, and I, I you know I think they'll they'll obviously stick with it. I did want to talk a little bit about the race car package that they've been using. So this is the one where they have no defensive linemen on the field, and they have four or five outside linebackers. So in this game. They didn't do that, and they really didn't have the personnel to do it because they didn't have that fifth outside linebacker active. So they they stayed with a modified race car. They where they had one defensive lineman and four outside linebackers to go with a dime defense. So they did that several times. Six snaps in this game. Two drive ending plays. Uh, one was the uh, sack by no, not the sack by wasa the very first pats drive which ended at q1 804 they had they had the uh the race car package on and then they also did it again on the interception by thomas late in the game mm. so uh, it got off the field with it and then they they had it in another uh, four other times as well for consecutive plays so i think that was the end of the half if i recall correctly or the end of the game end of the game uh, so anyway, it's uh it, it it's it's nice to see that package. It's been one of their most successful at generating pressure. It certainly gives them a lot of options with both Judon and Bowser there on the edge to drop to coverage to bring pressure from every possible angle. Uh, I really like it, but uh, but they're limited in terms of personnel to do it. Right yeah, now. I
5: think I think once McPhee went down, I it seemed like they were using it quite a bit in Seattle until McPhee went down. That's right. And then obviously this game, you don't have McPhee um ferguson probably has you know the, the body most like mcfee but he's not mcfee um you, you didn't activate enough outside linebackers to do it you know the way they've done it in the past so that was definitely limited
4: right ward is the other nice tweener they have now and and kamalu is supposed to be that guy so we'll see if if he is but ward lined up inside outside and and you know does both but there's if you watch McPhee just rush the passer from the inside, I mean, he's constantly fighting with his hands towards the quarterback. It's almost like he's he's playing a video game where you push on either shoulder of the player to go back to the quarterback. It's just very nice to
5: watch. He, he's a big loss. He's he's a big, big loss. The Ravens were already thin, uh, you know, with their pass rushers. Um, it, it's just crazy to me. Here we are going into week 10 and you've got judon who's pretty much your only consistent pass rusher you got bowser ferguson and now here we are talking about kamala hoping that he'll be you know some yes. sort of savior which is just not a good position to be in.
4: Well, they, you know, they, they've got a lot out of Ward so far in limited time. And, you know, you, you pull enough rabbits out of your hat and people start to expect rabbits.
5: <laughs> That's right. So it's, it's, uh, you know,
4: it, it really is. The expectation level has changed for this defense. You talk about all the defensive playmakers on the roster and it's Humphrey and Peters and Thomas. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago, maybe four, we were worried about what Thomas's level of play might have been. Yeah, you know, he just he just kind of gave up on the long run against Cleveland, and and you know some other bad things that happened. Uh, we're not worried anymore. Marcus Peters is back there. Humphrey is is not missing as many assignments. You know, in terms of the, of zone being breaking down, uh, it's really changed. Our expectation levels changed. We expect Josh Bynes to make a play on the football at inside linebacker. How fair well, is that?
5: It's <laughs> not fair at all. The Bynes he should have he could have had that one, but luckily they had a, a, a turnover after. But I would just like to say that I don't like the pronoun we here when it comes to Thomas. I don't feel like I was ever really worried. Fair enough. He was, he was very clear about settling into the defense, and something clicked in Seattle, and it carried over into this week.
4: All right. Outstanding. Well, how about we talk about the pass rush?
5: All right. Let's do it.
4: All right. So the Ravens gave up ample time and space on 24 of 48 dropbacks. And you didn't certainly notice in this game that Brady had some time in the pocket. That's a high percentage percentage for today's NFL, but Martindale ran a great cycle of pressures and not pressuring against Brady that I thought kept him very uncomfortable consistently. I think the passing stats really show that in terms of how how far down the field he was willing to go.
5: There, There is nothing more. I, I'm trying to decide. I mean, maybe other than a Lamar Houdini run. There's just not much more I get more pleasure out of than – Seeing Wink Martindale with his defense hitting Tom Brady over and over and over and over <laughs> again, it was just beautiful to, to see him do it. Uh, and it. And it started out that way. Brady started when he started getting rid of the ball quickly. Uh, I think he got in a roll in the third quarter, but um, he's forty-two. He's not getting out there, uh he's not—he's not moving around too much. He, you know, he has his little steps inside the pocket. But it was—that was so much fun to watch.
4: It it sure was. So ten times he was knocked down in this game, and here's the double. Here's the the exacta that I'm not sure has occurred more than a couple times in the rest of his career. Maybe maybe more than five would be a reasonable thing. I doubt Brady has been knocked down ten times in a game, and not had a single flag thrown more than a handful of times his whole career.
5: Well, and and going into the game, I was I I was confident that the Ravens could pull this one out. The one thing that made me nervous was those type of calls, Mm -hmm. where if if the refs had given Brady some ticky-tack plays, this uh, this is another thing that I wonder. You know, you talked about Wink being ready for the no huddle and just brilliantly subbing people out, keeping the same package. I also feel like they were aware. I mean, they were definitely hitting him. But there were times where they got close. Like there was one time specifically I remember where Chuck Clark was so close and he pulled up after mm-hmm. he released, making sure that there could be no mistake. So I thought that they were very smart with it.
4: Yeah, it was, it was it was well done. I mean, obviously the interception was a big hit by Judon. They had a couple late hits too, which I like, particularly if you can get away with them, I love them. Uh, but uh, they, they put him on the spot a number of times, and that certainly uh, had him going in terms of, how they did it this is where there's really some interesting things going on here they really maximized in this game deceptive elements so -hmm. they had 10 deceptive blitzes and i'd encourage people go through if you would i really want people to understand how i define this thing but i have got the 10 timestamps they're out there in the article you can go through with your game pass subscription look at the plays themselves and see what i'm talking about but they had 10 times where they matched up at least two elements of deception on a blitz and those ten plays, the Patriots only got twenty-two yards, two point two yards per play. And I did take out ten yards for the intentional grounding because it's effectively a sack.
5: That 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 talk about getting joy, where Brady was like complaining, hoping he could get the um, I don't know, defensive like hold a or pat, something. Yeah, pass yeah. interference or hands to the face or something. But Jenny did everything legal. I mean, he's just so physical, and the right receiver runs right into him. Anyway, you're just thinking, "Oh, great! Here's going to be another Brady play." Refs are talking forever. Then the flag comes out. It's like, "Oh no, they're going to give it to him." Nope, it's intentional grounding. That, that was that was so. Awesome to watch.
4: I I will just say, if an officiating crew ever threw a defensive hold that late after discussion with with Tom Brady, that's an automatic downgrade for that crew. I mean, you you, you just can't do that. Uh, Now, they're they're already, they're bad that roughing the passer penalties get called late, and you think there are times when Brady has an influence on it. But the roughing the passer penalties do tend to come in late. The latest call of all, because they always involve discussion, is intentional grounding. So it's...
5: To kind of see, you know, who's in what position. Did you mm-hmm. see? Was there somebody available here or there? Um, okay, but real quick here. So you you said you wanted to encourage uh, listeners to kind of go through your deceptive plays. Yeah, I did that.
4: You did. I did great.
5: that. I did that because I saw you. You posted your your article. Here's I'll just I'll just do the first four real quick because okay. you got it written out here. Yep. The first deceptive, two men, two man drop Bowser and Judon. Then you've got a blitz. With Chuck Clark and mm-hmm. Thomas, they try to pick up Clark. Thomas gets the quarterback hit. Mm-hmm. Okay, he and Brady—that's like the first one. He and Brady, you know, give you know each other a little pat or whatever. Beautiful. Second one, second, second deceptive blitz. You've got Clark and uh, Peanut awesome. going again. They pick up Clark. Peanut gets the the nine yard sack. So back to back deceptive QB hit. Thomas nine yard sack. Uh, Peanut. Then you get another one in the in the in the second quarter. What is that? That's the the intentional grounding that you talked about. Just impressive results. And then the fourth one that I just want to hit, blitz blips from Fort and Earl Thomas goes incomplete. I mean, talk about you do not have your traditional <laughs> pass rushers that are just studs. out. You know, Nobody consistent out of Judon. And mm-hmm. those are the results you're getting when you are risking it against a GOAT Hall of Famer, future Hall of Famer who can pick apart defenses and should know where to go. But but Wink and those guys got that done.
4: Well, uh, Brady while he has all those qualities does live in fear of good players in the secondary. So that really played into the Ravens' hands in this game. That the interaction of the pass rush and the secondary—it's hard to continually break linkages until you're actually sure you're you're looking at one's results and the others. But the secondary played an amazing role in an effective pass rush in this game.
5: No doubt. I mean, you can't do it. You can't do that without. a, a secondary like that, and and what's great about this is that this secondary hasn't peaked yet. It hasn't uh, peaked, yet. and you're already willing to take risks with them right now.
4: I, I I really hope you're right about that. That would be terrific if if it's true. We saw some good evidence of that, uh, you know, today with Anthony Averett coming back and making some plays. So uh, and Jimmy Smith coming back and and looking pretty good. I'm sure we'll talk about those guys later. Is there anything else about the pass rush though that we missed?
5: I just want to hit up one stat um, that I thought was very telling um, right up there with, with what we're saying, next gen stats. Um, They had blitzes 21 times. I think you counted 20. They, I mean, so very close. It's a different
4: definition. So I'm counting. Yeah. yeah.
5: Sorry. Go ahead.
4: Let let me be specific here because I want people to understand my definition. A blitz is an individual blitzer who comes from more than one and a half yards off the line of scrimmage and at le- and no further in than the slot receiver. So if, he's, if the slot corner is lined up on the receiver directly and he rushes the quarterback, that's a blitzer, regardless of depth. If, a, if an inside linebacker is three yards off the line of scrimmage, that's an individual blitzers. When, when AWD is counting him and virtually every other group, they're telling you the number of times that a team rushed five plus in a game. And that's numbers. That is a very different, very different question.
5: Very different definition. Okay, well then, perfect. Good that you laid that out. Under their definition, blitzed with five or six 21 times, Mm -hmm. and they got nine pressures on those 21, so a 43% pressure rate. Um, And then on the non-blitzes, there were 26, so they were going with four, three, or two, and they just got two pressures, so an 8% pressure rate. Right. So, uh, go
4: ahead. So I, I was just going to say they I had the, the the yards per attempt on each. So when they rushed three or four, they they gave up six point nine yards per play. When they rushed five, exactly, which was twelve times four point two yards per play. And when they rushed six plus, one point eight yards per play. There you go. So they really they got in Brady's face, and he was he had a lot of trouble with the heavy pressure looks. Okay. All right. I think maybe we talk about some individual players. Let's do it. You bring them up. Who would you like to talk about first? Anybody in particular?
5: Um, I, I think, I, you know what? I'm going to go with Peanut. Um, I, I think that was probably his best game of the season. Um, yeah, I mean, easily. And I think now it's pretty... We already kind of knew it, but I think this solidifies it. I think that the Ravens miscast him at the Mike linebacker. And I don't blame them for trying to do it after, you know, Mosley left. He's he's your guy. He had played so well at Will. He had transitioned. He done a, he had done a uh, position transition before. He transitioned from safety to to inside linebacker. So, you know, doing that has not been too big for him, but it just he just wasn't working out as a Mike linebacker. And so, putting him back at Will uh, in a rotation, I mean, he mm-hmm. had a, the, about the same amount of percentage snaps yes. as he pretty much averaged last year.
4: Yes, I just yeah. I just did the math on that. <laughs> okay. I, I just literally picked up a calculator and did that. Forty three percent yesterday is what I had, and forty two point two percent for the regular season That's last year. That's exactly amazing. It. Yeah,
5: I had it here forty two no. percent. So, so you're putting him in, you're rotating him. He's he's free. You've taken away this, this, whatever it was. I mean, whether it was being the green dot, having to communicate, whatever, he was back to it. He could be a a pass rusher again. He just felt so free. And so everything reminded me so much of him last year in terms of like how they used them and how they rotated them. And then as a result, go figure, he gave you similar results. You know, he had the, he had the, uh, the sack and then he went, He's the one who Humphrey gives um credit to for having, you know, the ball punches. Worst he, trouble. he didn't punch this one from 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 Edelman. He it was actually, I went back and watched it five times. It was very impressive. He just kept swiping away, you know, mm-hmm. as he was tackling him. I just it was so good to have the peanut back that that we know. Um so so I'm I'm so happy for him. And I think it's just so good for him to have. A stabilizing force like binds next to him.
4: Yeah, I I, I've, I I completely agree with just everything you've said here. I mean, part of this is making me wonder: Do you have the other half of this amulet? But it's, it's seriously the uh, <laughs> a great game for Owasso, and uh, and good to see him back being the peanut of all. You know, he's a downhill player, and it's kind of like we're trying to keep kissing this frog and turn him into something else that he is. He's just a great downhill linebacker. Let's leave him at that. Let him make plays rushing the passer. Let him use energy in these limited bursts, get him off the field as needed. And, uh, and you know, great to see him back playing the way he was. And, and uh, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad probably from his perspective that this may mean he's not a starting linebacker uh, anywhere in this league. Maybe he can go somewhere and be a starting will. Maybe that makes sense but uh you know because it does mean millions of dollars probably but on the other hand it may stabilize his future with the ravens in terms of being a player who can come back and and can and can be a guy that the ravens can sign at a contract that makes sense for both parties
5: well it's interesting that you say that because after the game you know harbaugh was was asked about what we're talking about like is peanut paying paying better now that he's at will and then harbaugh downplayed he was like oh will mike whatever he can do both. just like well his play would say different but my, so in my mind i was like is he trying to help pina out he is he trying to help him not be boxed in whether he stays with the ravens or goes elsewhere i didn't know if he was just trying to help him out so he didn't get get that label yeah, um,
4: coach, coach speak
5: yeah 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 so but to me, the the results speak for themselves.
4: Okay, you did such a good job with that. Pick another player for us to talk about.
5: Oh, great. <laughs> um, well, let's let's take the other person that came back, Jimmy Smith. Okay, okay. Um, Jimmy, I I was I don't know. I guess I don't know what I was expecting, but I was not expecting him to jump right in and being used as much as he was. Um, there were four players on defense who here we go who played 100 of the snaps it's, and it's the people you would expect chuck clark because he's got the green dot marlon humphrey well marcus peters and Earl thomas the next person you know the, the next most snaps was jimmy smith 54 that's 81 percent he has not played since week one beginning of week one and he comes back in week nine against Tom Brady and the Patriots. And he just jumps right in. He just jumps right in. Harbaugh said it best. He didn't skip a beat. Uh, other than drawing the, the Brady whining and trying to get his call, and then he's the intentional um, – gives the intentional grounding. My favorite play. He didn't have a, you know, a, um, a Humphrey play, you know, scoop and score. He didn't do an Earl Thomas pick. My favorite play – is um, after the muffed punt, I believe, uh, the Patriots are in scoring position. Brady throws it out wide to Dorsett and Smith almost kills (laughs) Dorsett. Mm -hmm. Like he is there the moment the ball gets there Mm -hmm. and just crushes him into the ground. And I'm like, yes, that is the physicality. I love I love that there's so many different styles in this uh, Ravens secondary. I mean, Marcus Peters, that's not his game, but, but he's, he, he plays off. He reads, he reads the quarterback. He goes for those interceptions, but, but Jimmy Smith is just so physical uh, for being a cornerback that I was just like, welcome back, Jimmy Smith. So glad missed you. Yeah. That
4: was, it was a, that was a fantastic play and it was a great game for Jimmy. Uh, He, as I scored it, he allowed just two receptions for nine yards. He's targeted five times, only two of those for complete for nine yards, and just two yak. So, uh, you know, he had a one plus two, I believe. That was the big, you know, one of the big long plays, and he might have had a six plus zero for the other completion. So, uh, you know, it wasn't much. And and I thought that, you know, he certainly played way above my expectations. I didn't think Brady tested him very often. And he was the oh. greatest throwing most of the time at Marcus Peters. <laughs>
5: yes, what, he was.
4: We'll, we'll talk about that in, a, in, in just a moment. But, but Jimmy, the only thing I'm concerned about, and I didn't hear anything about it in the thing today, is he came off the field for two long stretches. And maybe that's just unrealistic on my part to think he should be in there. But, you know, they're, they're in a situation where they needed four cornerbacks on the field for most of that game. Mm-hmm. If they wanted to otherwise do it, I guess they could have moved Carr to cornerback and brought on Bennett Jackson maybe on the back end or done something else, but they really needed Jimmy on the field, and their their choice was to substitute with Averett. Yeah. And we know we've had some issues recently with with Anthony Averett not playing all that well. The beginning of the third quarter, he came out for five straight plays and then came back the next drive, and I was like, okay, shoot. But then he missed also the last eight plays of the game. And I, I – you know, the game was not wrapped up on the first of those drives because the, the first two plays were the, were the last two plays of the drive where – Thomas had the interception that effectively sealed the game with the Ravens long following drive. Then the last drive of the game it was it was over already.
5: Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
4: So it had me concerned that maybe something happened to Smith during this game injury wise that they haven't revealed yet.
5: I don't I don't know, Ken, don't get me nervous. We just got him back. <laughs> <laughs> don't, don't do that. I'm going to go with that it was part of the rotation. I would think that one of the reporters would have noticed something in the in the locker room. Maybe not, um, but but you know, Harbaugh was asked about Jimmy Smith today, not specifically about an injury, and he was just that he played well and he didn't skip a beat. So we'll see. But I don't need you putting that in my head. I'm just trying to enjoy this win. Well, that's
4: fair <laughs> enough. Let's just enjoy it. All right. You mentioned Marcus Peters. Let's talk about him for a second while we've got a chance. Targeted 11 times in this game with six receptions for 69 yards. Not terrible by any stretch, but it was pretty clear that they were targeting him. And when I think back, I think, you know, Brady wearing a wristband that says find 20 on every play. Yeah. The the greatest interceptor in the history of the game, other than Ed Reed, (laughs) is Marcus Peters. Why would you not also have that same feeling about him and be more fearful, say, of Jimmy Smith? It just it, it was a little strange to me that he was willing to throw at Thomas even on, on some deep routes and at Peters, but not at Smith, and not really. They did throw at Humphrey a fair amount as well. Yeah, But, but, yeah. but it's really not at Smith.
5: Well, I, I was trying to figure that out myself. I mean, Peters in Seattle, as you scored it, mm-hmm. three targets, three targets, two incompletions, one pick six, and they never right. went to him again. Before he came to Baltimore, uh, oh,
4: he wasn't targeted much by the Rams. And and the reason no. for that was he was playing the back end of a cover three zone a lot of the times, which meant that the way PFF scores it, so you can't, I, I would say, do the work yourself is what I'm going to say if you want to look back at Peter's targets, because they're going to charge the underneath guy for those targets more often than they're going to charge the the top end of the bracket in coverage. Gotcha. So you. So it's there's some artificial things that kept Peter's target total down, I think, when he was at the Rams. But I still don't think they were trying to throw at him very often.
5: No, it's, it scares no.
4: the heck out of players for uh, opposing quarterbacks. To have well,
5: in. and I will say, and I mean, I remember uh, after the game they were asking Earl Thomas, you know, how did it feel to get, you know, uh, an interception? He's like, well, most people just avoid me, but. Tom Reed or Tom Brady didn't mind coming I said Tom Reed. Tom Brady didn't mind coming at me. So I don't know. I guess I don't it it is odd that that, that you would go after Peters and and not Jimmy. I I don't know what it is. Um, Right. But I I thought Peters played decent with that amount of targets and the amount of snaps he had.
4: Yeah, there's one play in particular I want to talk about for Peters, because it's one of the most athletic plays I've ever seen. And it was on the right. Uh, there was a third-and-one play, quarter two, 1255, if you want to look at Game Pass and just take a look at it right now. You, sir, you can even do this while we're talking. But uh, the third-and-one play, um, mm-hmm. he was covering Sanu, but Peanut was covering Burkhead. And there was kind of a clear-out route to basically get Peters out of the area. And Peters apparently figured out what was happening and reached back with his left hand and deflected that ball. Now, just to think in these terms, um, it is a uh, fine motor skill to knock down a football in the air, to punch one loose—not necessarily, but to, but to find a football in the air is a fine motor skill. If you you don't pick up a pen and start writing left-handed, you don't. If you're a basketball <laughs> player, you typically don't block shots with your off hand. You only do it right. with one hand. It's usually your dominant hand. And and this is I I assume he's right-handed. But even if he were left-handed, in this case with Peters, the body control he had to reach back for that play, it's just, I've never seen another one. Like, I must have looked at this play 10 times. I cannot recall another PD by any corner, this athletic, coming off his own man to do it. And he's, you know, he had the pick six where he clearly baited the quarterback in the first game. This one, it's just another signature significance play to a, to a great player uh, that, that he was able to make that play. But I encourage you, even if you can't look at it right now, maybe you could get a look after the show when when you have a chance. Because it's no, a very I've, I've
5: very got cool it one. rolling. I've got it rolling right now. What's interesting to me well, didn't give me a very good replay there. It looks to me as if he's yeah, he's he's doing the classic Peter's reading Brady mm-hmm. the whole way, rather than like just just taking his man and taking the bait. Um so I, he, I, I, but, followed, but, go, go ahead. ahead.
4: He followed Sanu across Burkhead, and then and then Burkhead is left behind with Peanut. And then he 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 did realize that, apparently. But at that point of realization, if he's a, if he's a normal player, normal defensive back who's got to block the ball with his left hand, he'd literally have to turn his body 180 degrees to do so. Mm-hmm. But, but he didn't have to. He went back, reached way back behind his body with his left hand, and gets his paw on there and, and somehow knocks that ball away. Just an unbelievable play.
5: Just a very athletic play.
4: All right. So you pick one. I had Peters here.
5: Yeah. So Earl Thomas, I, I've kind of um, alluded to him. I I just feel like he's he's finally settling in. And I say that for two reasons. One, based off of his play. But two, based off of what he's saying, he is an honest straight shooter. And when he wasn't feeling comfortable in the defense, he wasn't afraid to admit it. And he admitted it several weeks. I mean, from, from basically OTAs to training camp to the first few weeks of of, of uh, the season, he just said that he was still getting there. And it finally, in that Seattle game, clicked for him, whatever it was, and he's starting to feel um, better. I think, obviously, one of his signature plays of the game was his interception, uh, from Brady, I give huge credit to Judon on that. Mm-hmm. I also think that Brady, I mean, obviously way overthrew it. Um, give, give credit to Earl also, but the play that um, I was more impressed by was his past breakup to, was it Edelman uh, at the goal line? Yes. To save the touchdown? Uh-huh. Where he, he read that. I mean, he was trying to see where, where Brady was going to go he wished that he had gotten another half step but even when he talked about it he's like he's like yeah that play that play more than anything illustrates how much more comfortable he is in this offense because he thought he saw something and he broke on it and even if he was even a, you know a half step faster maybe he would have been able to get the pick in that situation too but he saved the touchdown in that situation when the you know it, it was given to the patriots inside the 20 and i just think that he's He's finally coming into his own. Now he had not. He had some bad plays, although I, the the one to um, James you know, James White, right? Yeah, yeah, James White, the running back. I mean, even Earl admitted he goes, I got mossed on that one. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, you know, he, it wasn't a perfect game, but but overall, it just felt like he was everywhere. Also because of the way that Wink used him. Um, like you said, with the, with the different ways they were using things, I mean, he got to come up to the line of scrimmage. He was blitzing. He was back in center field. He was doing everything. And it just feels like, you know, Earl Earl has arrived. And that's why I say I don't feel like the secondary is has peaked yet because I feel like Earl is 95% there with how comfortable he is. Peters is only into his second game. Jimmy just came back. And then they all just got to come together. That's why I don't think they've they've peaked yet. Um, But Thomas being more comfortable is a is a is a major step in the right direction.
4: Okay, so Thomas, when he was in Seattle, played with Cam Chancellor. Cam Chancellor, obviously a very heavy hitting, huge safety, was always going to be the guy who played shallow and Thomas would play deep. And that's why they were such a great pairing for so many years in this game in particular. The Ravens used Carr at deep safety. But we talked about this before, that Carr wouldn't be a guy you'd move into the dime role because he really just doesn't have the physicality for it. It requires somebody who's willing to lay their neck and shoulders in there, make a lot of tackles in the run game. Thomas actually is much more of a physical player, and that's why they used him so much close to the line of scrimmage in this game was because of limitations a Brandon Carr, and not necessarily terrible limitations or anything, but Carr is going to be more effective on the back end. They moved up the guy who was going to be more effective on the front end, Thomas, even though it was outside of his normal position. I think as as the year goes forward, if they don't use Carr, continue on in the same role, that it, it, meaning they are not forced in these situations where they want to have four cornerbacks on the field. Uh, it, well, no, it's really if they want to have if they want to have Carr at safety, move Clark up. If they're not forced into that situation, then I say it's more likely Thomas will go back to playing the back end because it's more natural for Clark to be a to be a, uh, yeah. a you know a strong safety.
5: Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that that is interesting. It, but in I know it was is was different. But he seemed to really enjoy it. That, he wants to get a sack. He wants yeah. his first career sack. So I think he's all for getting some snaps at that you know at that role where he gets to come up to the line of scrimmage. But but like you like you said, he is. He is physical. He's he's very physical, which which says something with with um, him, you know, typically playing the, the the center fielder with 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 speed.
4: Well there you go. Okay, so let's see. Who have we not talked about that, is, that we that we need to make sure we hit on before we're done? Humphrey, I thought had a had a good game in general. Obviously it's great when you can scoop and score any time. Uh, he did have a tough game in terms of coverage that was imperfect. Very, very difficult assignment for Humphrey because he basically chased Edelman, o- Edelman all over yeah. the field and covered him in the slot, which is not Humphrey's normal position. Humphrey is a boundary defender who likes to use that boundary and also likes to use that club hand when he has the boundary as a backup to to, to help him get the guy out of bounds if he misses. It's just – it's it's a – this was a very tough game for him in terms of that. Edelman did make him pay a little bit in terms of uh, in terms of some receptions but uh, very positive in general on what Humphrey did in this game.
5: Um, I, yes, I think the Ravens have and continue to ask a lot of him um, so you know you can't bash him too much I don't know if you score it the same PFF has him five targets, five catches 100 yards. Um, that said, that said, because of his splash pet plays, Week in and week out, you are going to start seeing. And you, if you follow me on Twitter; you saw me doing this. You're going to start seeing cries for more than Pro Bowl, but D boy, because when you look, at because because you have to have splash plays in order to get that. Week mm-hmm. one interception. Week two six tackles and a pass defense. Week three forced fumble. Week four held OBJ to two catches. Week five the punch and recovery. Week six interception, week seven and week eight scoop and score. That dude is Johnny on the spot. He mm-hmm. is always in the very just the opportunistic spot. Um, if he keeps having these splash plays, he's going to get talked about more and more and more nationally.
4: Right. Every touchdown certainly helps. All the takeaways are a very big deal. Uh, I think it would take a lot for him to win to win the DPOY at this point. But I do think he's a very reasonable dark horse candidate to be all pro at cornerback. And that would be another huge feather to add to his cat. And and by the way, one that is going to significantly increase his cap cost. I was just, about, I was just about to say. Again, other half of the amulet, right? <laughs> but, but anyway, it, it will be a, uh, a a positive anyway. And Humphrey, they're going to have to pay whatever they have to pay for Humphrey. He's I'm, one of the coolest players.
5: Cons- so. I've already, in my mind, he's we're already making— we're already making him the the highest paid corner just because of the the cycle. Just like in quarterbacks, the the latest get, gets the highest the highest contract, and he's he's playing at an extremely high level.
4: There you go. There um, you go. So I guess he'll be up at the same time that Ramsey is for his contract, and they'll both be two of the highest. And maybe that Peter's contract this offseason, whoever he signs with, whether it's the Ravens or somebody else, will will set the mark again.
5: Yep. Yeah, yep. Yeah, I can see him setting that bar again. Um, one other player, I just want to give a quick shout out to, and it's not even for his play, which was pretty stellar, Matt Judon, body built by Taco Bell.
4: (laughs) I don't understand what that means. You're going
3: to have to explain it to me.
5: Okay. That's because you were watching, you were not watching from home. Okay. It's the whole, you know, where NBC does the, uh, introductions of the players Mm-hmm. And they say, you know, their name and what college they went to. So Suggs, obviously, we know, went to Ball so Hard University. Uh, Judon literally went on there and said, Matthew Judon, body built by Taco Bell. And so, <laughs> <laughs> which just blew up the Internet, just blew up the Internet. And uh, I think uh, my old colleague, Ryan Mink, got the story out of him. He just loves Taco Bell. And it was where he went when he spent his first NFL paycheck. So, um, if 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 that's how we look by eating Taco Bell, if that's the shape we get into. I got to go there more often. I
4: think I think that's a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar endorsement deal he just made himself on so uh, already, on his introduction.
5: They've, they've already reached at least on on Twitter. There's been like this big back and forth. They're like going to be sending tacos his way and chalupas and all all the goodness. So.
4: All right. Well, hopefully we can wait till he's retired on that, but that's, that's a uh, fine. Great game fight by, by Judon it was constantly uh, after the quarterback, Michael Pierce, maybe one other player we talk about. Uh, he drew a big holding call in this game. I think some of that kind of gets lost in what good run def- defense he did play. Some of the, the Ravens problems with run defense came in that third quarter when they're in the dime package, they're very much depending on Pierce and he was consistently double teamed to get him moved in that time period. So, uh, you know, th- he's he still looks like himself and there's th- things he does that it's just like a, almost like a special ability or something you can do like once per game he can just decide he's going to go three yards into the opponent's backfield on a key play and he does it and I just yeah. a, a player like that having a player like that, I really hope the Ravens can find a way to keep him for next season it would just it would just be very cool if they could they've got money they've got a lot of money they need to be careful with it because you always need to be careful with money but you know, he's a player I would love to have, and I bet there are a lot of other teams, unfortunately, they are going to want him more.
5: Yeah, I have a hard time thinking that – I'm just having a hard time seeing a situation where they're able to keep him and Brandon Williams. Um, I Maybe I need to look. I haven't looked recently at Brandon Williams' contract, but I don't know that you can – because of all the restructures, I don't know that you're getting out no. of it anytime soon.
4: No, I think he's with the team through at least twenty twenty,
5: um, which I'm for. I put out. Yeah. A, I don't remember the exact stats, but the the rush defense with him versus without him is staggering.
4: Well, you want them both is the problem, and I think you you take a step back either way if you don't have them both in terms of of how you can shut down the run with two players. Right. I mean, just they 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 haven't played base defense this year. I mean, they played a you know. A two defensive linemen at the most. They've actually been averaging slightly over 1.7 defensive linemen per play the entire year. So it's, it's, they've really got to figure out uh, if if there's a way that they can keep those two. And, you know, obviously they didn't have to activate a bunch of defensive linemen for this game. Ricard played, what, like four defensive snaps? So they effectively split their defensive snaps, their defensive line snaps, between three players in this game, which I've never remembered them doing before. Yeah, 42, 36, and thirty-one. Those are without penalties. They'll be a little bit lower than what you see in the game book. And then four snaps for Ricard. That's all the defensive line snaps in this game.
5: Yeah. Well, I I personally am not getting my hopes up.
4: Okay. All right. Well, that's that's uh, I'll I'll manage my expectations. How about we talk MVPs from this game? Then we hit the mailbag. Good. You you want to play along? Give me your number three, and I'll my number
5: three. I'm giving to Judon.
4: Good choice. Can't argue. We just talked about it four quarterback hits. So I think that's probably enough. I, my number three goes to Peanut. Uh, it was eight tackles. Six of them were losses by the football outsider's definition, which means the team still made good progress towards the first down on those plays. But the two that weren't were enormous game-changing plays, a drive-ending sack and another drive-ending forced fumble, which was returned for six. So uh hell of a game from Peanut.
5: With peanuts, my number two. So yeah, and you just hit on why.
4: All right. I think we just talked about about uh, Michael Pierce. So I don't think we have to talk too much more about him. But uh, I thought he had a fine game. I know there's not complete agreement on that, but in terms of the offensive hold he drew, had real value. He had a quarterback hit on Brady. Uh, just a fine game. I thought he contributed as a pass rusher more than more than uh, you know normally expect a defensive tackle to do.
5: Uh, my number one is Mr. Earl Thomas. Uh, just, just a fantastic game from him. We already Complete, discussed it. Yeah.
4: Completely agree. Not without warts. One other great Thomas play that was in there, he rushed the passer and he actually got a piece of the ball that went over the left side and it went end over end and Edelman caught it. But I think it was Edelman, but whoever was on the left side, caught the ball and then Jimmy Smith took him down for only a gain of three. So it was. Uh, it's. It's in the article anyway. Take a look. But it was. But it was a. It was a definitely a, a. tip on that ball. If that ball had gotten there more quickly, it's a much better chance that that the receiver eludes Jimmy Smith and makes a play out of it. So that play actually had value, even though it didn't get knocked down to the ground in the end. I.
5: I missed that one. I'll have to go back and look.
3: Josh, how are we doing in the mailbag tonight? All right. Uh, it's a fun win. So that means lots of comments and questions coming into the mailbag. You can get your. Uh, questions in using the hashtag film study mailbag over on Twitter. Uh, first question up, if we put the green dot to the side and look purely at safety play, how has Chuck Clark's play compared to Jefferson so far?
5: Well, I, listen, I mean, I think that the Ravens, you know, miss Jefferson. I think he was a great, uh, you know, leader in the locker room. I am not seeing a ton of drop off, and then, but if if there were drop off, and you look at it compared to how much each are counting against the cap, <laughs> there is no doubt you're getting a ton of more value out of Chuck Clark, which is why, as much as I appreciate um, Tony Jefferson. I'm not so sure his his future is going to be intact and that that happens sometimes when you know you get injured and then somebody comes in and they're just a revelation but I think that Chuck Clark Clark is playing very well especially for you know he's still starts wise a rookie um, I'm I'm very impressed with Chuck, Chuck Clark
4: yeah I, outstanding he's he's played extremely well personally he's been tremendously versatile in terms of his ability to play. In the box is a dime, a a slot as big as big nickel. On the back end, he's played effectively. I think he's provided good bracket coverage. Obviously, the defense has turned it around in terms of communication since he's been on the field, this game being the primary example, I thought. And then I'll add the last bit is that by having him be the green dot and, and being able to not lose a step in that role, that gives you all that flexibility inside linebacker that was absolutely killing the Ravens the first weeks of this right. season in terms of not having the uh the good coverage from from inside linebacker to start the field. So it's a we McFarlane and I talked about this uh during the bye week because we went over the roster value relative to cap. And it's just a sad situation for Tony that he happened to have a good young player come in playing his spot while he was injured, that it's coming up in the last year's contract, which you're always vulnerable to being cut anyway. Right. So it's the maximum cap year. You got the least amount of prorated bonus still left on that contract. And it wouldn't it would probably make sense for the Ravens to cut um, uh, Jefferson. Now given, you know, they could go for the additional depth, but the additional depth costs seven million dollars. And you can't look at that as the Ravens have sixty million. You gotta look at it. That's that's seven million forever. They can spend yep. that whenever they want, and you can't spend it unless you get value out of that.
5: Yep. I was gonna say the same thing. I mean, you can save 7 million uh, and and so what you put either you have a 7 million dollar backup or you put Chuck Clark cuz Earl Thomas isn't coming out and mm-hmm. so you put Chuck Clark back on the bench after the way he's playing I don't see that happening.
4: Yeah, I mean you you have to you have to come up with some other hybrid position for him dime big nickel where he's always on the field kind of thing. But then you you again you'd have to take the green dot away from him and it seems like that's worked out so well I just don't see that changing. No. I mean, it's uh, it's been a short period of time, but, you know, I think it's completely worked out. And, you know, all you all you hear about him being smart. Okay, I think we beat this to death.
3: <laughs> all right. Uh, on the drive following the Humphrey scoop and score, would you have used a timeout in order to make defensive substitutions on either of the third down plays?
4: That is a great question. OK, so the first third down play on that drive was a third and three. Actually, there's only one third down play the whole drive. Uh, they had a third-and-three play, and they did make a defensive substitution on that on that play, by the way. They brought in Matthew Judon to replace Bowser, uh, and that was the only one they did. But they brought a fresh, fresh pass rusher onto the field, and then they stuck in the dime defense at that time. I don't know what else they really could have done, but they didn't get the Patriots to third down but one time. That was the problem on that drive. But that drive went, by the way— Run for six, run for six, pass for eleven, pass for eighteen, run for seven, run for eight, run for six, run for one, then that gets him to third and three, then pass for seven, run for four, run for one for the touchdown. You can't rearrange that to get the patriots off the field very easily,
5: yeah i and i i I don't like let I me mean, what's I just don't like I don't like giving up the the, the timeout at that point in the game, mm-hmm. especially when you don't there's not a I don't know it's it's the the only third down is one two three four five six seven eight nine plays into it mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah I mean it's a good question I, I, I don't know that it would have helped much
4: yeah it's it's a great question and and they did substitute and this is part of the part of the thing that Martindale did is he was still able to make a few key changes. Even when they they uh, couldn't get the entire package changed, so they you know it's third and three anyway. The dime is probably the defense you want on the field. So it's not the nickel, probably not anyway. Not the quarter because you you'd be then a a little bit more afraid of the run. So they probably had the defense they wanted on the field. It's just a question of getting fresh players. And you know they they got you done. And I don't know really what more they could have done than that. So I think that's where I'd have gone.
3: All right, and uh, there's a follow up question here another person about how do you think we should adjust to combat the no huddle that new England brought?
4: You know, they did such a great job against the no huddle in this, in this game. It's hard for me to point to some other way to do it. I think other teams will try it against the Ravens. Uh, New England is especially well equipped when you think about it to do it. First of all, Tom Brady ran the new huddle, no huddle in one of the loudest stadiums there is on the road. I mean, that's just – that's unheard of. We would never ask Lamar to run the no huddle in Kansas City, say.
5: Well, and it's – what's interesting to me, I went back to it. Everybody's thinking of the no huddle in the third quarter because that's where the Patriots started, you know, really actually having some good drives against the defense. The defense had played so well up to that point. Um, but they had gone to the no huddle much earlier, but the ra- the Ravens were shutting it down. I mean, they started to go no huddle on their second drive and they went four and out. Um, they did some no huddle, not totally in that next drive. They went three and out. Uh, I, w- when I went back and looked at it, there's, wow, there's a lot of more no huddle that, I mean, to me, it was less an issue about the no huddle because i agree with you ken i think that the ravens knew it was coming i think that they had prepared for it with by the ways that you have talked about i think more than anything it was you know being gassed by being on the field for 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 19 plays because i feel like the rest of the game they had actually handled the no huddle quite well and and stopping and stopping the patriots
4: yeah that's exactly right and i think that you know it's it's Scary that this ends up being the way of it, but they did a great job of winning the snap count battle effectively. It was 65-65 is how it finished. The Ravens were plus 13.9 snaps offensively going into this game. The Patriots were plus 14. And they effectively won the snap count because they lost a possession to the Humphrey return. So I I have a really hard time finding fault with the way they dealt with this. I mean, let's look at it another way. They allowed 20 points to the New England Patriots. That's darn fine. I'll take it any time. You you and and probably by the way,
5: 10 of them came from, from turnovers inside, giving yeah. it to him inside the, the 20. So uh, to me, you know, the, the defense, you know, I, it's hard for me to say they gave up 20. Mm-hmm.
4: Yeah, certainly, this first four drives of the game with three and out, four and out, three and out, four and out. I'm sorry, the last one wasn't a four and out. It was actually a touchdown on short field. But to get them off the field quickly on those first three drives was just very, very impressive.
3: Yes. All right. Uh, Bowser has looked good to me the last couple of weeks. Do you think this is more related to the team overall playing better, or does he, has he been doing anything different?
4: You know, it's difficult for me to point to any one thing that Bowser is being difficult being different, but he's definitely his snap count is increasing, which means the coaches think he's playing better. So even in the first half of this game, he only played nine snaps. The second half, he played. Let's get the number right for you here. Another 20. So, you know, just when I see that kind of of differential, and it's very similar snap count-wise, by the way, for the Patriots' first and second half, I say the the Ravens' coaches like what he's doing. I think he's giving them a little more as a pass rusher. Uh, He's probably giving them a little more as an edge defender than Ferguson has. Ferguson had a—we didn't talk about this, but a very tough game— as a run defender in this game. I had five separate notes where he was really losing the edge to the offensive tackle. But I think Bowser has been better at that.
5: I I, I also noted the the increase in snaps. However, I attribute it to injuries. I attribute it to, you know, McPhee going down and other things. And it's like, well, <laughs> there isn't a whole lot more to go to. Mm-hmm. I, I personally, I mean, Bowser hasn't stood out to me too too much for good or bad to me he is still where he's always been on the cusp of being good but I still don't feel like he's at all lived up to his draft status but but the premise of the question that he's playing better I mean maybe he is incrementally but I I'm not seeing you know any big steps
4: Okay, so I, I I love this glasses half full, glasses half empty thing. It's the <laughs> way to do it. But but Bowser, if if I want to play the glasses half empty thing, Bowser had twenty eight snaps, and J- Jihad Ward is a street free agent. When you come down to it, though, he's played well thirty six snaps. So right there, they play the same. They don't play the same position because they don't both play Sam. But they they both play outside linebacker and can kick to the inside. And and Ward is is playing obviously a lot more.
5: Right. Right.
3: All yeah. Right. All right, we've talked often about the fact that this offense is really young, the defense is old, and this person is wondering if do you believe we will need to get all we can out of the defense this year because of all the possibility of free agents, and I think this defense will look totally different next year.
5: Um, try to go through. I mean, I see a lot of young pieces on the defense too. I mean, I feel like Marlon Humphrey's the star um. I mean, we do. There are some free agents. Judon it's coming Pierce, up. Pierce, Pierce, and Peters. Um, so it'll look different. But I don't think you're going to have any bigger changes than we had from last year to this year. Um,
4: how could you? Yeah. How, <laughs> how, how
5: can you? But but I will say I do think um, the Ravens. I mean, look, they always say they're going to they they uh, draft best pl- best player available. And I do think that's true to a certain extent, but even DeCosta has admitted like you do that within, you know, a realm, like they're not gonna if the best player's a quarterback, they're not gonna draft a quarterback. So um I'd like to see them address, address a, a lot of these holes to the draft.
3: Yeah,
4: that's that's where I am. I, I would I would really like the Ravens not to sign outside free agents if possible. And, and, you know, just part of the reason is you want to perpetuate the cycle of comp picks. And the way to do that is to have a lot of draft picks, draft well, and lose some key players when that time comes. It's it's actually a, the good result is to have a choice of cornerstone players as opposed to in some, some franchises, they don't even have one guy. They really need to resign and they convince themselves that they take a tier two player and make him into a cornerstone player. Much better for the Ravens to just continually... Try and accumulate draft picks, make good ones, and perpetuate that cycle of of comp selections.
5: Where are you, where are you on Judon? I know where you are with Pierce because we talked about it. Where are you mm-hmm. with Judon?
4: I, I, I can't give him the top of tier money. I so I, I, the money that Zedaria Smith gets, if that's what he truly commands on the market, I got I gotta wave.
5: Yeah.
4: Uh, he, he's a, he's a very good player, and you know he's a Sam linebacker, which is going to be hard to find another one uh but i i I just i cannot justify a 16 or 17 million dollar a season salary next year for judan
5: i agree i think judan is the right player right price kind of guy but if he leaves the cupboard is bare
4: yep true that true that so they might have to sign another guy from another team if they lost him yeah which is a possibility They, they they you know obviously will have to focus in terms of of uh, pass rush in the draft. You're right. It's it's not a it's not a a situation to be taken lightly. I still think of the two, you know, given given all they bring to the team, I would probably rather have Marcus Peters than Judon at this point.
5: Well, I think yeah, I mean if you're talking who's same money you, What's that?
4: At the same money I'm saying.
5: Oh, okay. Yeah. Nah. Well, I think Peters is is a be- better corner than Judon is a pass rusher.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, let's close the mailbag out with this question. Uh, Ravens are halfway through their schedule. We had these two games circled and marked as important games. What are the big games to look forward to this year that we got to circle for the second half? Okay, I'll, I'll
4: give you my number Why don't we each pick two? Okay, my number one game the whole remainder of the second half, even though it, it shouldn't matter as much as it does, is probably the second Steelers game at this point. All
3: right, you're going okay. to week 17. Mm-hmm.
5: you mean in terms of, of just like must win
3: yeah it's 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 the one
4: where if they if you could pick that game as the game they really need to win then they probably secure the division based on that i i'm just not a hundred percent sold yet that they've got the division they still have a tough schedule the steelers have a very easy schedule the steelers appear to have it together defensively it really all just rides in terms of whether they can get their offense fixed and and doing some stuff they've been winning unprettily these last couple of weeks, but they've also been winning pretty in the sense that their defense is doing it. And Minka Fitzpatrick is just gone ballistic right now there. And, and I'm afraid they really got a bargain with him.
5: Um, okay. Okay. I, I'll i give one of my, uh, another must win and then a, a statement, another statement game, which I don't think is must win, but would be, you know, big, but I, I it would Pittsburgh's four and four right now. It's mm-hmm. unbelievable. they're <laughs> mm-hmm. They're that way. I would still, however, love to see it if the Ravens could lock up the division the week before against Cleveland. Mm-hmm. Um, if if the Ravens continue to, to play uh, the way I expect just because they have such a big lead. Um, God, wouldn't that be nice if Week 17... Well, it'll still matter because they'll try to get um playoff position playoff position yeah yeah yeah. but it would be nice to seal seal the division in, in week 16 against cleveland
4: yeah I, I agree i don't want it riding on week 17 we've seen that that movie a couple of times and hasn't always worked out oh
5: pittsburgh and, is the steelers are just like the zombies that you think are dead and then somehow they come back to life <laughs> yeah
4: I, a statement game beating the rams in la i
5: was gonna say san francisco oh
4: the, yeah of course the
5: other at least for now undefeated team
4: Okay, that's also on the road, right? San Francisco's on the road. No, it's it's
5: it's been, it's, it's Baltimore, yeah.
3: Okay. Two big ones. All right. What do you say, Josh?
4: What? I said, what do you say, Josh? Anything any more?
3: No, that we're gonna close the mailbag out there. We got a bunch of offensive questions we can go with tomorrow. Um, so that's all we got today, Sarah. If you could share your Twitter handle for everyone so everyone can follow you. You're active there uh, throughout the week and during the game.
5: Yeah. Uh, My Twitter handle is S.G. Ellison. Uh, Just, yeah, very active there. Like to get lots of information and uh, thoughts and analysis there.
4: Uh, You're incredibly popular, both in terms of a guest and on Twitter. And, you know... Just remarkable to me that, that that your stuff gets retweeted and and but you just something is about the way you put things out there, maybe the way you phrase things, or maybe who your contacts are. I'm not sure that it's just exceptionally good the way yours gets propagated online.
5: Well, it's I get a little bit lucky. I, I got I got a, a big one from when I take notes from you, that's always nice. I stole that Marcus Peters note from you after after Seattle, and that one that one did well. So uh,
3: <laughs>
4: keep stealing.
5: Yeah. Okay, <laughs> we will do. Will
3: do. All right, Ken, and uh, you don't have too far to catch up. You only need about 500 more followers to catch up with Sarah on Twitter. So you're hanging in there as well.
4: No, I, I think I'm losing ground. Probably is my is is my guess right now. But we're not gonna we're not gonna have that. All right, that's that fine. Because I'll lose. <laughs> that's fine.
3: Where we want you to gain ground is over on FilmStudyBaltimore.com.
4: There you go. So hopefully, come come over and visit the site. Uh, you know, we're, we're working on, you know, some opportunities to try to increase the, the places where you can talk about the site. We won't announce anything on that, on that, uh, here, but one of the things we really want to do is promote the ability to make a film study short. If you've got a topic, particularly if it's a topic that's kind of too long for the mailbag, but it's a great topic, then I want to have you on to discuss it as a film study short. We'll take 15 minutes back and forth, uh, just like you're hearing normal conversation, Uh, If you have a study you want to show us, love to do that kind of stuff. We just had a study from Zachary Binney that's out there on on, uh, running with 11 or 22 personnel and which is optimal. That I think is very well done and a good uh, primer in terms of how you do a football analytics study. But anyway, love to hear from you if you want to do a film study short.
3: All right, that's it. Uh, Thanks again. We'll talk soon.
2: your go-to for great gardening values every day that's why we've lowered our price on select bagged mulch now starting at just 288 a bag mulch helps prevent weeds and retains moisture and when you put it down around trees shrubs and flower beds you'll see how beautiful it makes your outdoor space just in time to welcome back family and friends shop online and pick up in store lowes home to the best part of summer selection and product availability vary by location while supplies last us only excludes alaska and hawaii